Brother Cox and share the word with us. May God bless you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, just real quickly, Acts chapter 28 and verses 1 through 2. Acts 28, verses 1 through 2, real quickly today to read for you. The Bible says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Verse 2 says, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments on this title. A red, hot, burning fire. A red, hot, burning fire. Let's love him all over the house as strong as we can. Let's just take a few moments to get our hearts and minds in tune with him right now. the name of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated today. I kind of feel a little slanted. It's all this way. Amen. But glad to be here this morning and thank you Brother Johnson for inviting me. And one thing for sure, when I get done, it'll sure make Brother Godare look better. Amen. But I'm glad today my family's here. My son Nathan Cox up here streaming the services live and him and his wife Allison and just about two months they're going to be bringing me my first granddaughter and I'm looking forward to that. Amen. But I'm glad to be a part of this wonderful fellowship today, in this, and especially here in the Mississippi section. And I was thinking just a few, a couple of years ago, my wife and I had the first time we ever met Brother Johnson. It was at the Castle Restaurant here in town, and he was with Brother Coburn. And we met him and built a friendship starting from that day and doing such a wonderful job as chairman of this uh, region here and sister johnson doing such a wonderful job with the ladies conference and ladies leader and our ladies love that and we, we just love brother and sister johnson today love them and i know you do too amen but but I, i'm definitely not here this morning to tell anybody how to do anything <clears throat> number one i'm not qualified to do that because i'm still learning uh how to build a church myself there in abbeville but I'm just going to do what I was asked to do, and that's to tell what has worked for us in Abbeville, Louisiana. And uh, we went there six and a half years ago of February, uh, six and a half years ago. And uh, there was 14 people in Abbeville when we first came, and that was including my family, my wife and my son and I. And there's only four of them that are still there. And we're running about 90 now, and uh, maybe a little 90-plus and uh, but to say, but one thing from day one when we went to Abbeville, the uh, the church has always been growing. It's never ceased to grow. There's times it's growing bigger, and sometimes it's grown smaller. But it's always seems to be growing. And God has blessed us with a 
a wonderful group of folks there that love the Lord and love us and we love them. And most of them prayed through under our ministry, either myself or my son's ministry there, and they're our babies. And we've God has blessed us with some wonderfully good move-ins from around the area. And uh, so the ones that prayed through under us, uh, I am their father in the Lord, and I'm also their pastor in the Lord. And those that have moved in, I'm not their father in the Lord, but I'm now their pastor. But we still love them all the same. They're all, it's just like they've all been together with us forever. And in our church, we have, we have all different sorts of uh, nationalities, races. We've got black folks. We've got white folks. We've got Hispanics, Hondurans, and a whole lot of Cajuns. And that's, a, that's another group themselves. But we're glad that they're all there. And sometimes I really feel, Brother Johnson, that the church in Abbeville is growing and, and God is a blessing it in spite of me. But um, I'm just one of those that likes to dive in and give it my best. And, and I usually learn everything that we learn by simple trial and disaster. Amen. But God's, God, God blesses our efforts, I guess. But I want to talk to you just for a few moments about a red, hot, burning fire. Everybody say a red, hot, burning fire. First of all, I'm thankful today that uh, our God sees everything, He hears everything, and He knows everything. And we all realize that uh, we can see, or our God can see what man cannot see. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 4 through 7, the Bible says, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I come to sacrifice unto the Lord. He said, Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And it goes on down that uh, as he was coming to sacrifice a king uh, or to make a king over Israel, that the Bible said it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and, and said, and the priest even said, the preacher said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. He looks like a king. He has kingly material. But he said, But somewhere in the past I have given him some trials and some tests to see if he was going to be uh, able to be a king. And he failed them, and therefore I have refused uh, Eliab to be a king and uh, it says for the Lord seeth not as man seeth for man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart and what it's saying here is simply it's not saying that God you know so many folks you've heard them say well God doesn't see the outside he just looks on the inside that's not what this scripture is saying. We know what it's saying. It's simply saying that uh, as far as man can see, they can only see the outside of a person. But the God that we're serving not only sees the outside, but thank God he also sees down on the inside of every one of us today. And as with Eliab, sometimes man may think what they see in a person is a, oh, what great potential. God's going to use him. Oh, he's got all the features. Uh, but sometimes God has refused those that we think he ought to be using, and uh, he can't use certain ones. But on the other hand, uh, God also can see potential in some people that we cannot see. Amen. And with that in mind today, uh, I, I read a, a little thought here a while back. It says that man can count the seeds in the apple, but only God can count the apples that are in each seed. 
And so man can only see so far, but God can see the potential that nobody else can see. Peter, uh, when people saw Peter in the New Testament, they just saw a rough, lying, cussing fisherman. But God saw him as one that would present the keys of salvation one day to the world on the day of Pentecost. And uh, uh, people saw Paul as a murderer and an enemy to the church. But God saw him as one of the greatest preachers that has ever been that was going to write over two-thirds of his word in the New Testament. Uh, the uh, People saw David, even his own family, as just a little shepherd boy. But God saw him as a giant killer and a king over his people. And I look out here today, this morning, and uh, some of you, uh, before you came to God, people might have saw you as a drunkard or as a drug addict or a party animal or a liar or someone immoral or just a, just a good old sinner. But when God saw us, he went beyond just what the man could see on the outside. I'm glad when he saw us, uh, he saw a one God, Jesus name, Holy Ghost filled uh, either a musician or Sunday school teacher or a youth leader, preacher, preacher's wife. Uh, amen. He might have just seen you as a right-hand man or woman to your pastor and to your church uh, or an evangelist or a child of the king. But thank God that he sees what man cannot see in us. And I'm so thankful today that God was not as concerned when we came to him, Brother Swan, or as uh, he was not as concerned with what we were as he was concerned as what we could be in him. That old song Brother Copeland used to sing and probably still does, the old song says, uh, He saw not what I was, but he saw what I could be. And the enemy saw us as bad, but God sees the good in us. And when I pray, Brother Johnson, often when I pray, and this is my prayer daily, and I like to act it out, the Bible in Ephesians 6, where it says uh, to put on the whole armor of God. And when I'm, a, when I'm praying in the mornings, I, I, I just, uh, I'm a little simple in that area. I just act it out with my hands, and I pray, God, give me the helmet of salvation today. I want you to guard my eyes from looking at anything I shouldn't look at. Guard my ears from hearing anything I shouldn't be listening to. Guard my mouth from saying something I shouldn't be saying guard my mind from thinking thoughts I should not be thinking God give me the breastplate of righteousness keep my heart right today I want my loins to be truthful I want to be a man of truth oh God give me my, my feet shod with the gospel of peace that wherever I go I don't cause turmoil but I bring peace oh God give me the shield of faith give me the sword of your word down in my heart but I always pray God help Help me to see people like you see them. Oh God, not to see them as they are and look for their faults. But oh God, help me to see beyond what they are right now. Oh, somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. When people walk into our church and through our doors, I do not want to look down on anybody. Because of what they are at the present time. Uh, but I want to see them as the Holy Ghost sees them. Uh, when, I, when they walk in, I tell you, we get some rough characters, characters coming to our church. Uh, amen. But when I look at them, I don't want to look at him as a black or a white or a poor or uneducated uh, or, or living together. I want to see them in God's eyes uh, as somebody that's full of the Holy Ghost, uh, baptized in Jesus' name. Uh, possibly pastoring a brand 
God's work, uh, my song leader, a praise singer, a Sunday school teacher, or a missionary. Oh, God, give me eyes like you have. And the text we read, Paul, and here's where I want to go, was on a ship. And somebody, I don't have any, I got a time here. It'll tell me when to stop. Paul was on a ship with other prisoners and criminals and convicts. And they were heading to Rome to face trial. And, of course, we know the story. A severe storm hit that ship. And it caused them to go run aground. And the ship wrecked. And uh, the ship was broken. And uh, uh, they were stuck in the sand and couldn't go anywhere. All they could do was just, if they stayed there, was just fall apart more. And, uh, And they all began to jump off and swim to shore. And the Bible says in Acts 27 and verse 43 it says but the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose they were going to escape a wrong way and and commanded them that they which could swim uh, should cast themselves first into the sea and get to the land and the rest the Bible says in verse 44 some on boards some on broken pieces of the ship and so it came to pass that they all escaped safe to land in other words Their life was shipwrecked, and they did whatever it took to survive. And here's what I like. When they got to shore, Brother Maines, no doubt they were scared. They were tired. They were cold. They were hungry. They were disoriented. They were weary. And history lets us know that it must have been around the time of October because of the type of weather they were facing in some cold weather. And the Bible says when they got to shore in verse 2, the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. In other words, they, they showed us lots of kindness. They didn't show a little kindness. They showed a lot of kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. In some parts of that area, if they would have landed in a different area, there were, the inhabitants would have been waiting on the beach for them, waiting to rob and to kill the survivors from the shipwreck so that they could salvage through the wrecked ship for their own use. But that wasn't what they found on the island of Melita. Instead, as they came ashore, tired and cold and weary, the Bible says there was a red hot fire already burning and waiting on them. Amen. Somebody on that island had gotten together and wanted to make room for these people that were coming in and they wanted to make them feel welcome. The the message version of the Bible says in Acts 28 once everyone was accounted for and we realized we all had made it, we learned that that we were on the island of Melita or or Malta. It was another, another name for it and the natives went out of their way to be friendly to us the day was rainy and cold and we were already soaked to the bone but they built a huge bonfire and gathered us around it I want to tell you as we travel through life especially ministers we learn from everything as an experience in our life to learn from amen but I've learned over the years the most that I have learned from in living for God is not necessarily what to do but what not to do. 
Amen. But in this story, I have gleaned and used it and tried to pattern myself from a group of people that were not even a church, but the island of Malta. Amen. These people of the island, they saw what happened to these folks in the shipwreck. They watched it happen. They knew the outcome. They could see them jumping off and swimming to shore. And so they began to build a fire for them before they ever got to shore. And, and what I like is when the, they didn't wait till the people came on the shore and introduced themselves and found out their credentials and found out how much money they was worth before they started scrambling and trying to build a fire. But they had a fire that was waiting on them before they ever came to shore. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you, this fire did not start by itself. It didn't just happen. The Bible says they kindled a fire. Somebody took the time to build a fire. And it took time and it took work and it took inconvenience to get it ready for those that was on their way. Amen. I want to tell you, when people walk through our doors, we need to be ready for them. We need to be waiting for them. We don't need to try to find something to do for them. We need to be waiting for them when they get there. And just a little side note on the side, it has nothing to do with this, but it could. Acts 28 and 3, the Bible says, and when Paul, when he gathered and got around the fire, and he, the Bible says, and when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he also laid them on the fire. What did Paul do this for? He realized, amen, somebody built this fire. Somebody took some time to get the fire burning. And I'm enjoying this fire. But if I'm going to continue enjoying this fire, amen, I've got to start doing what it took to get it started in the first place. Amen. Because if I just stand here enjoying what somebody else has done and don't pitch in and do my part, the fire's going to go out. Uh, what are you doing, Paul? I'm going to do my part to throw more wood on the fire. I want to keep this fire burning. Uh, I want to enjoy the fire, but I want others to enjoy it also. Hallelujah. And the point is, when the prisoners arrived on this island, they did not find the same atmosphere that they had just came out of. That's important. That's important. But they found a people that showed them love and kindness. They had a warm fire already burning for them. And when they got there, they felt wanted. They felt loved. They didn't care what race they were. They didn't care what their religious background was, whether they were rich or poor, educated or uneducated. They just received and opened their arms to everyone. One place in the Bible, a young man in our church tossed this out the other day. In the Bible, the Bible says they brought a woman to Jesus, Brother, Brother, Brother Johnson, and they threw her at his feet, and they all picked up stones. And when Jesus got through writing in the sand, he was rebuking those folks for wanting to stone her and kill her. Amen. And another place we find where Jesus came to a group, and there was a man by the name of Lazarus that was bound up in grave clothes and dead and behind a stone, and he told somebody, I want 
want you to remove that stone and set this man free. In other words, I don't want to be a stone thrower when people walk through those doors, uh, but I want to be a stone remover. I don't, I don't want to be condemning people, I, I, but I want to help loose people and help let them go free. It don't matter. You, we cannot worry about what they've come from or what they are or what their color is or what their nationality is or what their education is or how much money they have. All that matters is I don't want to throw stones at anybody. I don't care. And I, this is just me. I was just asked to do what we do there. I, I, I don't care if they're homosexual. I don't care if they're lesbian. I don't care if they're an adulterer. I don't care if they're a drunkard or a drug addict. Everybody that comes through our doors, that's a mission for me to say, that's God telling me, I've put them here in your care or I would have never allowed them to come through there. Do what you can to save them, love them, have a warm fire that is built and ready for them when they get there. God did not call me to be a soil inspector. He just called me to be a seed thrower. He didn't call me to judge who can and who can't come to his church. He said, you open your doors to everybody and fill my church up. Amen. And that's been the theme of our church for the past six and a half years. So many have walked through our doors. And, and, and Brother Copeland, seeing you sitting here, I want to tell you, that was that I needed that message last night. I made some life-changing commitments to God last night. It's been so long since I've heard that kind of preaching. All I hear now is T.D. Jake's mess going on all over the place, how God's going to bless you, and uh, you just walk into your new dimension, your new level. And uh, hey, I, I need something to get me on the, my face and tell me how to repent and get things out of my heart and life. I, I ain't, if I want to go to a new dimension, it's down on my knees repenting. It ain't, you don't just claim a new dimension. You, <laughs> thank you, Brother Copeland. Such a wonderful message last night. Amen. Amen. But, but when, they, when, they, when they walk through our doors, uh, amen, we've got people that are coming, and they're coming on a weekly basis. There's always visitors, uh, and their lives are a mess. Uh, they're wrecked. There's no direction. They have no love in this world. Uh, their lives and dreams are shattered. They're cold. They're hungry. You know the story when they walk in. Uh, they've been let down. They've been disappointed they're hurt because of this stupid sinful world that we're in and when they walk through the doors of our church they don't need to find the same atmosphere that they just walked out of they don't need to find in our church what they came out of in their religions. Amen. I want them to find a loving church with a warm, red-hot fire already burning. When they walk through our doors, I want them to find a church on their knees praying, crying out and calling out to God, worshiping. I want them to find a church with unity. And I know that's the way most of us are here today. Oh, somebody praise him. They walk in the Abbeville church. I want them to feel love and unity, not a bunch of fussing and fighting and gossiping and backbiting and hatred and jealousy and looked down on because of their status or their condition. But I want them to find truth that's preached with love, mercy, and compassion. This hit me the other day, and I, it, it, you know, these little things are important to me, but it's, it's probably elementary to y'all. But, but I don't want them to just find a preacher with passion. I want them to find a preacher with compassion. Passion. Everybody say passion. 
Passion is a strong and uncontrollable emotion. It's an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Sometimes, you've seen it, too much passion can kill people. But too much compassion ain't never hurt anybody. We have married couples potlucks every other month. Uh, we get together and the married couples every other month for fellowship. And uh, then we have it the next month, uh, next month, every other month, we have our men's get together and they go out for dinner and fellowship. And our ladies get together and go out for fellowship. And then on the opposite co- uh, months, we have the single adults get together for fellowship every other month. Our youth have activities weekly. Why are you saying this, Brother Cox? Why do you have so much going on? I, I just want it to be, I want there to be things happening in our church besides just Bible studies. I I want our married couples to come in and be able to get together and have fellowship with other married couples to let their hair down and break the ice. Uh, And and I want singles to come in and get together with other singles uh, and and men to get together to be men and have fun and ladies to get together. Why? So when they come in, they will find a place to fit in. And we started that with just the few folks we had. When my son Nathan was about to be born, we already had his room ready, Brother Copeland. We had, we had the clothes bought. We had the diapers stacked. We had the toys ready. And all we was waiting on was Nathan to get there. And that's the way it ought to be. We, we, when, he got, when he was born, we didn't say, oh, no, let's go find a bed. Let's go get him some clothes. Let's go buy toys. No, no, no. We had it waiting on him when he got there. And that's the way I want it to be when they come to the Abbeville Pentecostal Church. I don't want us, what, what can we do with them? Where can we find for them to be in? How can we help them fit in? No, I want them to step in, find a warm fire already burning, find a place to fit in and be a part of the church. Uh, amen. Uh, amen. I, I want it to be set up and already waiting when they walk in the door. And our motto is at our church, and I've preached it, I wasn't the originator of this, uh, but I feel that if we will love those uh, that nobody else wants, God will send to our church people that everybody would want. And I'm telling you, he's done it. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but we've had simple. We've had dingbats. We've had every, and we treat them just the same. We've had poor. We've had homeless. And we've treated them just the same. We've loved them. We've babied them. We've taken them out to eat in our vehicles. We've worked with them. And because of that, God has kept his promise. He's been sending us people that every church would love to have. Men that just want to be used of God. Families, amen. Amen. Sometimes churches call them trouble. Amen. But they're not troubled families. They're just somebody that wants to do something for God. I want to provide a place where everybody can do whatever they want to do for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And if we're going to grow, we got to treat everybody that walks through our doors the same. There can be no racialness in our churches. It cannot be that's the blacks and these are the whites. All colors must be welcome in our churches. Our church is a mixed church. We've got half black, and then the rest of them are all, the, most of us are black, and the rest of them are white, and we've got a, some Hispanics, uh, we've got some Hondurans, and again, we even have some Cajuns, uh, but they're all treated the same. I want our church to be just as colorful as heaven's going to be one day, uh, and I want it to be people from every color all over this world. And let me throw this out. God did not put me in Abbeville to build a white church. 
or a black church or a Hispanic church or an Asian church. Uh, but he put all of us wherever we're at uh, to build a one God, Jesus name, Holy Ghost field, uh, holiness, praying, growing, Pentecostal church. Uh, oh, somebody believes it. Give him some praise. And we all know that new people praying through and a church growing. That's not revival. My Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, the Amplified, if my people who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, require of necessity for my face, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. The message says, and my people uh, responding, if my people will respond by humbling themselves and praying and seeking my presence and turning their backs on their wicked lives, I'll be there and ready for you. I will be listening up in heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I will restore and heal their land back to health. Amen. I'm going to tell you that when people are, when a church is growing, that's not necessarily revival, but when a church gets to pray and after preaching like that last night uh, and finds their place in an all and they cry and weep and pray through and get things out of their lives and they get the joy of the Holy Ghost back in their hearts again and speaking in tongues not just a little of this yeah 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 stuff but I'm talking about talking in a language speaking in tongues feeling the glory of heaven making changes and they start worshiping God and on fire for God and their and their life is changed and they're happy that's revival baby amen but the results of a revival church will be a growing church I believe that with all of my heart I feel anything that's alive dead things don't grow but one of the greatest keys to a church being revived and a church growth and we know it is prayer and I'm not talking about I'm talking about real prayer a lot of folks call some things prayer, but that ain't prayer to me. I've been to some churches that they'll get there and they, they, they claim to pray an hour before church. And the church will be packed. And I go in there, can't wait to have a prayer meeting before church and want to pray. But no, here's what they're doing. The whole hour. Oh, God. Mm, Lord. I'm thinking, what are y'all? And most of them ain't even doing that. Looking at their watches. Waving at me. I'm not talking about silent prayer meetings either. I'm not talking about just moaning and groaning. Let me tell you, every time I go to pray, I don't start moaning and groaning. Sometimes that comes, but prayer is talking to God. I'm not talking about lip sync prayer meetings. This. I'm not talking about whispering prayer meetings or the repetitious Oh, God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I'm, not talking about, I, I'm talking about real prayer in a church service. We teach and practice 30 minutes of prayer before every service, whether it be Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Sunday morning. <laughs> I want God to be there on Sunday morning, too. Now, I'm not telling y'all what to do. This is what we do. I teach when we pray. I don't want quiet prayer meetings. I hate 
quiet prayer meetings. I hate quiet worship. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You go to a church, they say, let's worship the Lord. And you go, oh, Sound like a bunch of serpents. And not only are they going, but they're going like this with their face. And as soon as the service starts, they go, that's not prayer. But I feel prayer meetings need to be loud, with volume, with feeling, and people don't just pray. They have to be taught how to pray. They got to be taught to pray loud and with feeling. They ain't just going to pray loud and with feeling if the pastor and the pastor's wife whispers. Well, Brother Cox, I got things I don't want people to hear about. So do I, but not my whole prayer meeting. I'm not that bad. My whole prayer meeting is not a secret. The church will never pray loud and pray fervently and pray with fire and, 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 and with feeling if all the leadership does is just repetition. Jesus. Jesus. Come on, church, pray. Jesus. They're doing what you're doing. Mm. James 5 and 16 says, The effectual, fervent prayer. Of a righteous man, effectual, fervent, with heart feels from the from the heart, with liveliness, with feeling, availeth much. It pulls down much power. But just the opposite, the dead, quiet prayer meetings brings down no power. I want to tell you, silent, quiet, and low-key prayer meetings before church will bring silent, quiet, low-key worship. Somebody right now worship him as loud as you can. Let's see what it... That's, that's what I'm talking about. My God of heaven. I'm going to tell you, this is what God likes. Oh, somebody do it. should be just like this what would be wrong with every prayer meeting being of this intensity every time we get together Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church prayer meeting I hate dead prayer meetings somebody leap for joy right now because of the opportunity to be able to call on God Hallelujah. You can be seated. Hallelujah. When you pull into the park, and again, please, I am not bragging. But when you pull into the parking lot of the Abbeville Pentecostal Church and you get out of your vehicle, you can hear them little Cajuns and they're praying. And they're not just a bunch of dingbats running around just screaming and yelling and hollering just to make noise. They are saying words, they are praying, and they are calling on God. 
That's what I've told them. I said, church, we're not growing because of my preaching. We ain't growing because of my personality because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But God is honoring our prayers. Amen. We have our lights down low when we pray. You can still see well, but the lights are a little lower. We got a little soft music playing in the background. And then we don't, well, here's, here's, this is just this is what we do. We don't stop prayer, then go into 15 minutes of fellowship and lose everything we just prayed down. We flip, my wife starts singing, we flip those lights on, they stand, and we go right into worship. I do not want to lose what we just prayed down by laughing and talking it off. It's just this works for us. This works for us. And I, I don't ever embarrass our people in the public. I, I deal with them in the private. They, they ain't got to worry about being called out, fussed at, embarrassed, or humiliated. I tell them, I say, listen, I'll be your coach. And if I need to deal with you, I'll do it on the sideline in the locker room. I just want you to shine on the court for God. Amen. I, I don't go after standards or other religions by name. And during the services, uh, uh, when we got guests, every now and then if it's just the home folks, uh, which is rare. Uh, there's nothing worse as a preacher. You go there and you got, a, you got one of them hide skin and messages because they're, and visitors walk in. Why are they here? So you can't preach. You got you to just reach for sinners. Can you believe that? It's a horrible thing. You, you just... God, why are these sinners here wanting God? I, we want to deal with... So you understand what I'm saying about that. Amen. But, but I don't ever want our people to be afraid of bringing people to church because of what they're going to hear. I was raised around that, and it was a fearful thing. Amen. Brother Booker once told me, and I've stuck with this, and it's a part of my life. He said, happy sheep will breed. But miserable, scared, and fearful sheep, they're not going to breed. And I never forgot that. It's so true. My prayer to God is, God, help me to pastor my church like you pastor me. Help me to treat those wonderful people that you've given us like you treat me. God, you have never embarrassed me. You've never hurt me. You've never let me down or put me down or belittled me. You don't point my mistakes out, God, but you always encourage me. You have mercy on me. You have compassion. You send preachers like Brother Copeland to get up there with love and a burden and not hurting nobody, but just reaching with the Word of God like a gentleman. And that's why I'm where I am today, God. You've been long-suffering and lifting me up. You love me. You strengthen me. You magnify the few strengths that I have. And I'm going to tell you, God is not in the tearing people down business. God is in the building people up business. And I believe it is my wife and myself's responsibility to teach our people how to pray. As I said earlier, we need to have at least 30 minutes of... Well, let me, I, didn't say, I didn't say that just now. Our church has 30 minutes of prayer before every service. You cannot, I just contend, that you cannot get there right before church time, laugh and talk, and then say, let's gather around five minutes for a quick microwave prayer meeting to start this service off with, and then expect God to give out an outpouring of life-changing eternal results. We have a format that we kind of follow, and it's prayer starts the service off, and we go right into worship, and then the prayer request man will come up and give prayer requests. Anybody needs prayer, they'll come. Then she'll sing a few more songs, but we always stop in the middle of the service, and then we allow them to shake hands. We say, step out and greet each other. Sometimes it'll go 10 minutes, and if I were to sit down, those Cajuns would still be talking today. They don't just 
start a conversation, they go in, they, they right in the middle of it, and they're loud, and they're just happy, they, and our visitors love it, and that's the time we greet all of our guests, and we hug their necks, and we love them, and we stand around and talk to them, amen, we do that even if we don't have visitors, I want to keep it going so they'll always know what to do, and i tell you what else we've done, we've done that, and, and right when we get through, we'd start singing a song, Brother Copeland, and three or four more visitors would come in, I said, all right, let's stand, let's greet each other. visitors and we wanted to feel that love now here we go when, when, when people pray through or move in from another church I always want to teach them new member courses before I try to use them and uh, the powerpoints I've put together now watch this the first step that I teach is salvation repentance baptism and Holy Ghost the next one is on prayer the third one is Bible reading the fourth is on worship the fifth PowerPoint is on soul winning no standards no separation I feel these are the most important things they need to get in their soul if you can get that in them, all the others are going to come pretty easy. Then I teach on number six, makeup and jewelry. Seven, outward dress. Eight, the hair. Nine, television. Ten, ties and offers. I save that for last, but I do teach it. And, uh, but the first five, salvation, prayer, Bible reading, worship, and soul winning. I want them to become a part of this. I want to get down in them. I want them to feel like, Brother Cox, that's the most important thing in my life. Because if they can get that in their heart, the other will start coming automatically. And here's the result. We have a lady in our church by the name of Sister Angie. Uh, and a wonderful lady. Been there a couple of years with us. And I know she's listening. I love you, Sister Angie. And uh, I, I was teaching her a, a Bible study a, a few years ago. And, when I, and I taught her to pray. And I taught her to read her Bible. And taught her all these. And when I got to the so-called standard part, she raised her hand and said, Brother Cox, hold it. I, I was teaching on jewelry and makeup, I believe. And she said, the other day, I've been praying like you taught me to pray. And I've been reading my Bible like you told me to study. And I saw what you're saying right now already for myself. And it hit me. <laughs> if she had not been praying and not been reading her Bible, I could have taught it and she would have done it for me. But she wasn't doing it for me now. She's doing it because God showed it to her. Oh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I only teach new member classes myself. That's my baby there. I'll let other folks teach other classes. But last but not least, I want to sh stop with this. Pentecostals as a whole need a baptism of Holy Ghost joy and friendliness. Both in the church and outside the church building. I judge people's spiritual level on many things. I judge a person's spiritual level, how faithful they are to prayer, their church attendance, how they worship, and how friendly they are. One God, Jesus named Pentecostals, need a baptism again of Bible joy and happiness and friendliness. Too many so-called Pentecostals have the saddest, sourest, depressed, mad, angry, miserable countenances in church and outside along with their bitter, depressed, miserable, and arrogant attitudes. You know, you see them in public, especially in our area. How you doing? Fine. Praise the Lord, sis. Hi. Just, they look like they're fixing to die. Angry. They may give you an a smiling nod if you're lucky, or they look at you like you're crazy. We have them in our city. Well, they'll see me and my wife coming, and may, I was thinking about this last night. Maybe we're just dingy. Maybe we're the problem. They're avoiding us. I don't know. 
They, if you knew me, maybe you would say, see why they do it. But they will see us and just turn, and I've seen them run into clothing racks to keep from talking to us. We were at a hospital, and this certain group from Lafayette, a certain cult group there, they, they, we, we, we saw them, and when they saw us, they turned, and, there was no, and they walked right into the wall. And then they had to turn and face us. Hi. I love making people run into clothing racks and walls. I'm not a spiritual rocket scientist or judge, but when I see people like this, I know they don't have a strong prayer life. Brother Cox, how do you know that? Because my Bible says in Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. In other words, when somebody has a consistent prayer life, they're going to have joy, they're going to have happiness, and they're going to be friendly. There's no way that you can go into a prayer room or a prayer closet, whatever you want to call it, and have yourself a good praying through and be in His presence on an often basis and keep coming out depressed and keep coming out angry and sour because real prayer changes a person. I know, I know we all have bad days, and, but every day shouldn't be a bad day. My wife and I were here a few months ago, was in uh, Lafayette at Lens Crafters, and I'm 50 now, and I, my eyes finally need glasses. That's why I got an iPad so I can make it 22 spot, and uh, so I can see, so I can still look young and act old. But, but we was in Lens Crafters, and I was in the back with the Copeland getting my eyes uh, examined, and I heard my wife just loud out there talking and just carrying on about God and witnessing. I thought, who in the world? She's got somebody cornered and uh, excited about the Lord. Just She loves doing that. You always find her catching somebody and talking to them. And so when I come out, the lady was gone. There's nobody. I said, who is she talking to? And she began to describe. She said, did you see that little lady there that was uh, about 50 years old, short hair about to her uh, neck, had earrings on and uh, uh, tattoos all over her body and kind of revealing clothes? I said, yeah, I, I did notice her when I went in. And uh, she said, when you went in the back uh, I said hi to her and I just smiled and how are you doing today and she said she smiled back and a few minutes later the woman asked my wife she said uh, can I ask you something and my wife said go ahead and she said you're Pentecostal aren't you and my wife said yes I am I'm a pastor's wife and she said I want to tell you I appreciate you speaking to me like you just did and being nice you're the first Pentecostal that has ever spoke to me whoa there's more and she said, I run into him all the time. And she said, I just want to tell you, I'm a backslidden Pentecostal pastor's wife. <laughs> she said, we let a young teenager move into our home. Girl and my husband and her got together and he left me. She said, it crushed me. It devastated me. I've never been able to recover. It broke my wife's heart. When she told me it crushed me. But she said, thank you for talking to me. My wife went on to tell her, we're going to pray for her, invite her to church. She said, I want to come pray for me. I want to tell you, we need a revival of friendliness. We don't need to just shake hands and smile at church and outside look like we hate everybody. We push for friendliness in Abbeville just as much as we push Acts 2.38. So many have come to our church that that's the friendliest church I've ever been to. Oh, yeah, we knock doors. We, we do business cards. We do follow-up on visitors. We do it all. But the most effective thing we have going is keeping a fire burning every time they walk in and being loving and friendly to all. 
Oh, God, help us to build a red-hot burning fire in our churches and help us to keep it burning at all times. Uh, God, I beg you today to baptize Pentecost as a whole with a baptism of joy, a baptism of friendliness, a, a baptism of kindness. In closing with this, it's the will of God for every church represented here to continue to grow and to see growth in our churches until Jesus comes back and we can have a growth of revival, a revival and growth if we can just keep praying and keep being friendly. Let's stand to our feet all over this house today, if you would. Amen. Uh, sorry for taking so long. hope I didn't go over. But let's lift our voices right now and love the Master. I don't feel God gave me this so that without for me to say this, but would you just ask God, no matter who you are, what level you are in, God, help me to be people conscious like I've never been. Help me to have a friendliness and a joy like I've never had. Help me to make everybody feel warm and welcome at my church. Help me on the streets to smile and acknowledge everybody I see. I don't know who they are. Oh, God, would you baptize me with what I need to lift up your name? Go ahead, church. Oh, would you clap your hands unto the Lord? Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you read the prayer of David in Psalm 51 after Nathan pointed out his sin and he repented and cried out to God, one of the things he said was, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Then shall sinners be converted unto thee. David understood if he didn't get a fresh anointing that brought joy, there wouldn't be anybody that he could convert to God. I want a, I want a fresh baptism of what Brother Cox was talking about. The joy of the Lord, the friendliness that flows out from that. One more time, lift your hands and let's ask God, to help us get a red hot fire burning. Lord Jesus, help every one of us, God, to get a red hot fire burning, I pray. In Jesus' name. God bless you. If you need to use the restroom, get a quick drink. Do that. We're going to start with our 11 o'clock.